At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This morning, we are going to be continuing a sermon series we began a number of weeks ago now that has anchored us in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, a series called Tomorrow, Preparing for the Sun to Rise Again. And this series has walked us through a sermon that Jesus preached while on the side of the Mount of Olives to his disciples just before he went to the cross, letting them know that one day he would come back and establish his kingdom. After a time of great tribulation upon the earth, Jesus would return. And when he returns, he will establish his kingdom, and we need to be ready for that moment. And so in this series, we've seen that proclamation as well as a call to action for how you and I can prepare for the sun to rise again. This morning, we're going to see another installment in this series as we look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. But before we look at those verses together today, I want to just have us think for a moment about something that is important to you, okay? Think about what is important to you. I want you to really think about that. I want you to really answer. What is, what is significant and important to you? And then I want you to think about who is someone in that area that is important to you that you greatly respect and that maybe you most admire. Now, for some of you, uh, when you think about an area that is of great importance to you, it might be your schooling. Right now, you're a student. And when you think of someone who you admire most in that area, it might be a, a professor or an instructor or a teacher. Now, for others of you, it might be your work that is so significant to you. And when you, you think about the person that is most respected, it might be your boss or it might be someone who has excelled in that field. When I think about what is most important to you, some of you might think about your family and then everybody who just said school or work, just like, oh, I should have said family, right? But, but some of you have thought maybe, maybe your family and the person you most expect might be a friend that has got a family that is exemplary to you or it might be your parents, your mom or your dad or your grandparents or your children. But you think about all of these examples in all of these areas, there are things that are very important to us and there are people we greatly respect in each of those fields. Now, I want you to imagine that that person that you most respect in that field is making an appointment to come and to visit you at a particular time and place to give you an assessment on that area of your life. Just imagine that. At Tuesday at 2 o'clock, you're going to take a test that is very consequential to your academic career. Thursday at 4 o'clock, your boss is going to give you an evaluation on your career. Friday at lunch, your parents are going to come and give you an assessment on your job as a parent. Now, here's the thing. What emotion does that illustration elicit inside of you? How many of you, it elicited some form of panic because you're thinking, I've now got 
three days, four days, or five days to get my act together. I need to go and do the things that I've always said that I wanted to do, but I haven't yet done with my kids. I've got to go double check my calculations to make sure my my test will go well. I need to go double check my PowerPoint for the presentation that I'm going to give to my boss on that day. There's some sense of work that you want to put in knowing that you have an assessment that is coming in an area that matters to you from someone that you greatly respect. Now, that illustration is not designed to make you panic, but it is designed to illustrate the fact that all of us in some area of our lives long to hear from someone we respect the words, well done. Don't you long to hear that? In that area that mattered so much to you, don't you long to hear someone that you greatly respect look over your work, look over your life and say, hey, well done. I know that's true for me. I think about the things that matter in my life and there are a lot of things that matter in my life and I think about people that I respect and there are people I respect in all different areas of my life and and I would love to hear any of them look into my life and speak into my life and tell me well done. Now friends, I, I tell you that story today in preparation for the passage of scripture we're gonna look at today. A passage of scripture known as the parable of the talents a story that Jesus tells in the midst of this sermon that he preached on the side of the Mount of Olives to his disciples, instructing them on how they can prepare for the sun to rise again. Jesus tells this story to let us know that though he is not with us now, we will one day stand before him face to face. And when we do, our Lord and Savior Jesus, who we respect and revere more than any other, will look at all of our lives and will assess them in some way. And if you're like me, you long to hear him say on that day, well done. Well, how might we hear that? And where do we see that idea found in Scripture? We're gonna look at that today as we look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. So if you've got a Bible, open in it to Matthew 25. We're going to begin in verse 14. I want to read these verses for us, and then we're going to back up and make two observations for our lives today as we prepare for the sun to rise again. Again, Jesus is preaching. He's speaking. He's speaking to his disciples, and this is what he says beginning in verse 14. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, friends, in these verses, the the parable of the talents, I want us to see two things about how we might respond. But before we look at those two things, it's helpful for us to orient ourselves to this parable. And, And again, as we have done in previous weeks, we need to begin by reminding ourselves of the context where this parable happens. Again, this is in the midst of a sermon that Jesus is preaching, and the the sermon is in response to a question. The disciples came to him, and they said, Jesus, when are you going to establish your kingdom? Today, tomorrow, the next day? And Jesus responds and says, it's actually going to be in a little while. It's going to be after a number of things will happen upon the earth, and at the end of that time of great tribulation, Jesus says, I will come back to the earth And when I come, you need to be ready. And so Jesus lets the disciples know that being prepared for his return involves us believing in him now. We saw this last week, that we would have oil in our lamps, that we would not wait for his return because we do not know the day or the hour, so that we might believe today. We might trust in Christ today so that when he returns, we might experience the salvation that we long for. That's one of the response that Jesus calls us to. But the second response that Jesus calls us to is not just to believe, but it is to live in faithfulness now. To faithfully take the resources that he has entrusted to us and invest them according to his kingdom mission and agenda that we would live our lives now as if he were standing beside us because one day he will be standing beside us. And so that we might live our lives today in faithfulness, investing his resources for his mission. And friends, this is the story that Jesus tells to illustrate that very point. Now, when we think about the context of this parable, again, it's helpful for us to remember Jesus is talking about an era of great tribulation, a seven-year period of time that will precede the establishment of the kingdom. 
And Jesus is letting his followers know that there will be some who will be alive on the earth in the time leading up to his coming, and they should be investing their lives according to his mission so that when he returns, they might be rewarded with greater opportunity in his kingdom. That is specifically what Jesus is saying in Matthew 25. But here's the thing, friends. By application, this applies to you and I as well. Because we also are living in a time where we are awaiting the return of Christ. We also will one day stand before Jesus and must give an account for our lives on that day. And so the premise of this parable, though Jesus tells it in the context of the days leading up to his return, applies to any who live in this current age, including you and including me. So it's important for us to consider the meaning of this parable. Now, with that background, let's talk a little bit about what happens inside of this parable. This parable is a story about a wealthy landowner who has at least three servants. And he's getting ready to go away for an extended trip. And so he calls his servants together and he says, I'm going to give you and entrust to you some of my resources to manage or to steward while I am gone. And so he gives to each of these three servants a differing amount based upon their giftedness. To one, he gives five talents. To one, he gives two talents. And to one, he gives one talent. Now, when you think about those differing amounts and that word talent, what do you think about when I say talent? You think about like the ability to tap dance, right? That's a talent. Um, I can't tap dance. I don't have that gift, obviously. Um, But you think about a talent like that or the ability to sing or the ability to speak or the ability to cook or be hospitable, the ability to encourage. We think of talents as, as things like that. But when Jesus told this story and he talked about talents, they thought of something different because a talent was a unit of measurement. One talent was equivalent to about 80 pounds of something. And in this instance, it seems like he's talking about 80 pounds of silver. So one talent was the equivalent of about 16 to 20 years' wages. Five talents, the equivalent to more than a lifetime of work. And so the master gives and entrusts his resources to his servants. And he says, while I'm gone, I want you to use my resources for my purpose. And so the person with five takes it and doubles it. The person with two takes it and doubles it. The person who is given one talent takes it and buries it. Now, in our, in our brains, what I just described helps you realize when it says he buried it in the backyard, He had to dig a pretty big hole, didn't he, to get all that silver down in there. But he takes it and he buries it. So that when the master comes back, he calls to account all three servants. And he says, what have you done with the resources that I entrusted to you while I was away? And the person with five says, I've doubled it to 10. The person with two says, I've doubled it to four. And as they say those things, the master gives the same encouragement to both. He gives them the same reward. The first thing he does is he commends them. Well done, 
Way to go. Awesome job. Faithful servant. And after he makes that encouraging statement, then he says, and based upon your faithfulness, I'm going to give you additional responsibility and opportunity. Here's five more. Here's two more talents to invest in my business. And then he says this peculiar thing at the end, and I want you to enter into the joy of your master. Now, what does that mean? I don't know, but I want it, don't you? Wouldn't you love to hear the person that you respect the most say, enter into my joy, what you have done, how you have invested my resources. I'm so proud of you. Enter into this joy. Let's celebrate this together. That same reward goes to the person with five and to the person with two who are faithful with those resources. But what about to the one, the person that was given the one talent, that buried it in the backyard? What about that person? Well, instead of a reward, they experience a consequence. Instead of getting a commendation from their master, they get a rebuke. Instead of being extended additional opportunity and responsibility, even what they had was taken away from them. Instead of entering into the joy of the master, they are separated from the celebration and put into a place called the outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, friends, Jesus tells this story in such stark terms for what reason? Which of those responses would you like to hear in the areas that matter most to you? Well, the answer is obvious, right? He tells it in such stark terms so that we would never forget it. There's a response that we long to have when our master returns, and it is that response of, of well done, that response of you've been faithful with what I've given you. Here's more responsibility in my kingdom. That response of entering into the joy of your master, that is what we long for, not a rebuke, not a loss of opportunity and responsibility and not a separation from the celebration. Jesus tells the story in such stark terms because he wants each and every one of us to never forget it, which drives us to the meaning of this parable. What was Jesus trying to communicate in the midst of this? Well, again, who does the master represent in this parable? It's a real question. Who is it? Jesus, right? It's very, very transparent, very obvious. He's the one who was there among the disciples who went away for an extended period of time and is even away still ascended into heaven awaiting his return. Who are the servants? Real question, who are they? Us, you guys are wonderful Bible interpreters. It's us, right? Those that God has entrusted his resources to in this era while we await for his return. And so what is the, the meaning of this parable? Why does Jesus tell it? Well, he tells this parable to let each and every one of us know that there will come a time where we will stand before Jesus himself and we will give an account for our lives. Now, friends, we don't always talk about this, but maybe we should a little more. 
because Jesus talked about it. See, we emphasize, rightly so, that our salvation is dependent upon our belief in Jesus. And by trusting in him, our sins are forgiven and our entrance to heaven is secure. That is absolutely true. That is the gospel that we rest upon. That is the application that we saw last week when he talked about putting oil in our lamps so that we're prepared for the return of Jesus. But Jesus didn't just say that. He kept talking and he said, there's something else I want you to do. I want you not just to believe me now, but I want you to be faithful now to live the life that I've called you to, not so that you would earn salvation, but so that you would just be faithful with the opportunities that I've given to you in this life. Does that make sense? Jesus wanted us to make sure that we we heard that and we saw it. This idea of one day standing before Jesus is something not just told in this parable, but in the epistles, the letters that are written in the New Testament, it's also referenced. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Friends, there's this this notion, this idea that we will all stand before Jesus one day and we'll give an account for our lives. And when we do on that day, if we have trusted in him for the forgiveness of our sins, salvation is sure. But the things that we've invested our life in will either be rewarded or just will go up in smoke in front of us. That we will either receive a commendation, well done, good and faithful servant, or we will lack that commendation on that day. There's an issue of reward, and it's tied to the way that we live and invest our lives in faithful dependence upon the Lord and in the work of his mission today. Jesus wants to make sure that you're aware of that and I'm aware of that because it's a reality that we must all face. So if that is the picture of this parable, if that is the idea that is communicated, how might we respond? Last week, we were encouraged to believe now What do we take from this parable today? Beyond just believing now, what else? Well, it's a call to live in faithfulness. And the first thing I want us to see connected to that is this. I want us to see and know and remember that Jesus entrusts his riches to us. Jesus entrusts his riches to us. Again, we see this inside of the parable. Each of those servants are given a substantial amount of resources. One talent, about 20 years wages. If we put that in today's dollars, if you made $50,000 in a year, just for some simple mouth, that's a that's million dollars. Five talents, that's five million dollars. That is quite an, a, an investment that the master makes in his servants. 
And friends, as we gather here today, God has made quite an investment in us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has has blessed you with so very much. Now, some of you, when I say that, are going, okay, well, he hasn't blessed me with as much as that person. Okay, I get it. We'll talk about that in a second. But he's blessed you with a lot. What has he blessed you with? Well, friends, he's blessed you with with time. He's blessed you with talent. He's blessed you with treasure. And as he has blessed you with those things, his riches, his resources that he has entrusted to you, he desires that you steward those in this life. So with that said, what are some things that we need to remember? Well, the first thing I think it's important for us to remember is that God owns it all. God owns everything. We began our worship service today looking at Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all therein. Psalm chapter 50, verses 10 to 12 says that the Lord owns the cattle on how many hills? A thousand hills. And that is not a very specific statement in the sense that it's a more of a simile or a metaphor inviting us to know that God owns it all. See, we spend a lot of time in our lives thinking about what is ours. You know, that's, that's my house. It's my car. It's my kid. It's my spouse. It's my job. It's my friend. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. This is the way we think, right? We think of all of the, the things in our life and we think of them as ours. This parable challenges us to think of the world differently. It challenges us to think of the world as God's world. And everything we have is just something that he has entrusted to us. We do not spend this life accumulating things that are ours. We spend this life stewarding things that are his. Totally different way of thinking about life. But it's absolutely consistent with this story. The servants were his. We're his. We're his followers. The resources were always the masters. They were never the servants. The servants were merely stewarding them. The things that we have access to in life are his on loan to us to steward for a season. It's important for us to remember that. Not only do we need to remember, though, that that God owns everything, but we also must must remember, what else do we need to remember? I need to look at my notes. Hang on a second, because this is really important. This is good. It's getting really good. We, We need to remember that we are stewards over his riches. We are stewards over his riches. The things that he has entrusted to us, he desires that we steward them, that we use them as he would want them to be used. The things like our our time. And by time, I don't just mean minutes, though that includes that, but I mean the opportunities. All of us have differing opportunities. All of us have different appointments on our calendar and different people around us. We, we have different opportunities. God has entrusted seemingly more to some and less to others, but he's entrusted a lot to all of us given the gravity of the mission. He's entrusted a lot to us. He's entrusted his talent to us. 
by talent, I, I do mean your ability to tap dance, but everything else, your ability to sing, your ability to speak, your ability to encourage, what are those? They're gifts that God has given to you. They're his. You're stewarding them for a season to use them according to his purposes. Not only that, but our treasure. And again, some of you are going, well, somebody else has a lot more treasure than me. That's a relevant passage for someone else. Well, it's a relevant passage for us. You have a place where you're sleeping, God has entrusted to you lodging. If you have a food that you're eating, he's entrusted to you food. If you, if you have money that you're able to determine how you might use it, you have any decision at all about any of that, God has entrusted to you treasure. Friends, God has entrusted to us these things that we might be stewards over them, that we might utilize them according to his mission. Now, now here's the thing. When I say steward them according to his mission, sometimes we, we, we want to find a very narrow definition of what that means. But when I read my Bible and I look at the mission of God, it involves a lot of things. It talks about caring for our parents as they age. It talks about us caring for our children as they're under our care. It talks about us uh, loving those around us. We'll see next week some of the examples that Jesus gives in terms of just caring for others around us as God would want us to care for them. But it also involves investing these things that God has given to us in, in his work. Investing it in our family, yes. Investing it in our church, absolutely. But also investing it in our community and in the world that desperately needs Christ. Friends, we have been made stewards over his riches. And not only that, it's just super fun for us to think about this, but we've been given this in differing amounts. But it's all a lot. It's all a lot. So here's the thing. How would we take this idea and begin to apply it? Well, a few thoughts that I I would like to share. The first thing, when we begin to talk about um, stewarding these responsibilities, at some level, we, we have some feelings of regret. We want to, to look backwards on our lives and go, oh, I blew the stewardship of God's resources in my 20s. I can't believe what I did in my teens. I can't believe how I lived 2016. Whatever it is, right? We want to look backwards and think that we blew it. But I don't think that Jesus told this story, so we do an audit on our past and leave disappointed. I think he tells us this story because he wants us from this day forward into all the tomorrows ahead to think about stewarding and investing his resources now. Don't look backwards. Just look to today and forward. What does it look like for you to be faithful to steward the resources that God has entrusted to you today? Second thing I think it's super critical for us to see is to take an inventory Take an inventory of your life. What are, the, what are the opportunities that God has given to you? What is the time that he has entrusted to you? And it's different in every season, so you need to do this on a somewhat regular basis. What are the talents that he's entrusted to you? How does God seem to use you in the lives of others? What are the resources you have access to? Take an inventory. Know what you have. And then as you, you look at those things that God has entrusted to you, After you have taken that inventory, then begin to invest those things in his mission intentionally. 
Get involved. With your, with your time, redeem it. Make the most of it. With your talent, use it for the edification and encouragement of others and the evangelism of the lost. With your treasure, invest it in the work of what God is doing in the church, in the community. Friends, there will be a time where we will stand before Jesus, and Jesus wants us to know in preparation for that day that we would invest in his mission. And lastly, friends, don't play the comparison game. That's the other thing that happens. Well, I'm doing better than them. Well, they seem to have more than me. This is what we were tempted to do. But don't do that. Don't play that game. Jesus doesn't ask the one-talent person to give an account of what the two-talent person did or the five-talent person to give an account for what the one-talent person did. He just talks to them about their expression of faithfulness given what he has entrusted to them. Jesus entrusts his riches to us. The last point that I think is important for us to think about as we consider applying this parable to our lives is this. Don't bury his blessing. Don't bury his blessing. We see this in the one talent person, don't we? He's given the talent. uh, It says that he had a belief that the master was hard. He thought that the master would either take what he made or he would punish him if he lost it. And so he just took it out back and he buried it so that it would be there when he came back. Of this kind of a situation, Warren Wiersbe describes it this way. He says, because this man was afraid that he might fail, he never tried to succeed. Friends, I I think that this is is a picture of believers at times, right? God has blessed us. He's, He's entrusted his resources to us. And yet we are so afraid that we're going to do it wrong that we just want to bury it in the backyard. I don't want to get into a conversation because I might not have the words to say. I don't want to volunteer to to help lead that discussion in that kid's classroom because they might ask me something that I don't know. I don't want to reach out and be encouraging to this person because I'm afraid that they might think that I'm weird. I don't want to share my faith with my friend that desperately needs Christ because I just don't know if I'll do it right. And so we take the resources that God has given to us. We just want to bury it in the backyard because we're so desperately afraid of doing it wrong that we do nothing at all. We just want to bury his blessing. But Jesus tells this story to let us know that the Christian life is not just about burying the blessing that he's given us, but it's about investing it. It's about being about his business and his work in this life. That's what he's, what he's called us to do. You know, some have looked at this parable, and if you read in commentaries on it, again and again and again, the, the idea will come back. Was this third person, the one-talent person, were they saved or not? Because there's outer darkness, there's gnashing of teeth. I mean, what, was this person saved? And, and, and here's what I would say, friends. If, if that is the question that you have today, don't allow your mind to dwell there. Because I don't think Jesus intended this parable to teach about salvation. 
I think Jesus intended this parable to talk about the fact that his followers would stand before him one day, and when we did, we would long to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. He told this story in stark terms because he wanted to elicit a response of faithfulness from each of us. Don't punt on that issue and and get distracted and chase that theological rabbit and miss what God has for you in this and what he has in this for me. He wants us to know that he has entrusted his resources to us, so don't bury them, but employ them, invest them, use them in ministry. Of this, Tony Evans says, don't let this be you, talking about the person that buried the blessing, making time for your personal priorities, but giving no time for the kingdom. Don't live for decades as a believer on earth and have nothing eternal to show for it. Friends, Jesus has called us. He has entrusted to us that we might invest what he has given to us in his ministry. So what's that mean? Well, when you took an inventory, what did you think about? Is he entrusted to you a house? Invite others in that you might be hospitable to them. Host... 15 middle school or high school students for D-Now, right? Is he entrusted to you a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, a Thursday morning, Tuesday night? You're looking at and how might he use the way that he has equipped you in ministry to others by stepping forward into a responsibility and an opportunity to serve him here according to the way that he has gifted you. Is he giving you friends? How might you steward that opportunity to point them to Christ? Is he giving you a family, children, spouse? How might you love them and serve them and point them to Jesus with the way that you care for them? Friends, what has God entrusted to you? And how might you be faithful with those resources, according to his mission, until he comes again. Friends, here's what I know about you, because I know this about me too. What do we long to hear on that day? Well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus lets us know that one day we'll stand before him, that we might respond now with our lives today. Father, thank you so much for just this opportunity to to gather and to look at your word and to be challenged by it. Father, we pray that that you would just encourage us today um, to, to not wait and to not look backwards, but to look from this point forward with this afternoon and beyond and think about how we might invest what you have entrusted to us in this life, for your glory. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.